Oh, okay. Um, before we get go into anything. Ah! <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Magic Wings Clubhouse, a podcast where two best friends get together every other week and recap the Italian Magical Girl series Winks Club. I'm Brendan, fairy of the surging sea. And I'm Tess, fairy of the I am full of emotions. Today, we are finishing Fate the Winx Saga Season 1 with Episode 6, A Fanatic Heart. This episode was released along with the rest of the season on January 22nd, 2021, Directed by Stephen Wolfenden and written by Brian Young, the Yates quote is from a poem that I did not write the title down to. Oh, well, but the (laughs) full quote out of Ireland have we come great hatred, little rum named us at the start. I carry from my mother's womb a fanatic heart. Ah, yes, you gotta love that A-A-B-A-B. Okay. No listener questions. This was big. Tess is stunned. So obviously Tess starts us off this week. I finished watching this like an hour ago. You finished watching it four months ago. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. We resume where we left off last episode with Bloom outside of Rosalind's cell in the Undercroft. Telepathically, Rosalind inflates Bloom's ego and teaches her how to access the flame inside of her and push past her fear of losing control. Before we see the results of this, though, we rejoin the other three girls in the tunnel outside. Tara is worried that Beatrix has somehow escaped. And after Stella ribs her about her paranoia, they go back to find that she is, in fact, gone. Way to go. (laughs) You didn't leave someone with the murderer. Wait, numerical two, go. Cut it out. (laughs) Tara wants her apology in writing, probably, I don't know, with a wax seal. But they're interrupted by Dowling and Harvey storming into the office with Aisha in tow. Tara tries to make an excuse, but Harvey barks at the girls to follow him. As they pass Aisha, Stella tells her that she hopes her brownie points will keep her company when she doesn't have any friends. I'm very conflicted at this moment because I don't know what the hell's going on. I mean, I know what's going on, but I don't know what's going on, if you know what I mean. Uh, Aisha tattled. Yeah, and the world is at stake. Aisha, for her part, looks extremely conflicted over what she's done, and Dowling heads into the Undercroft to find Bloom. Bloom, meanwhile, uses her powers to destroy the cell holding Rosalind, who tells Bloom that she needs to recharge her magic. Dowling bursts into the room where Rosalind's cell used to be, and it be empty, son! So after the title card, Rosalind opens a hatch in the cemetery from episode one, and takes Bloom out with her. Like every good magic school, and really every successful castle, Alfia has plenty of secret passages and extra exits underneath in case, you know, it comes under siege. 
But Dowling doesn't know about these secret passages, which is the mark of a bad headmaster, in my opinion. Because, yeah. like, maybe I'm applying too much real-world logic to a fantasy series for teens. But if a castle has secret passages, they're for exiting in case of emergency. So you should know about them. Anyhow, it was in Harry Potter's so They're Doing It Here. Actually, a little later in the episode, it sounds like Dowling took control of the school from Rosalind by force, and pretty quickly, too. So it would make sense if she didn't know about the secret tunnels under the school. True. Maybe if she... uh, We'll get to it. So, we cut back to the wank suite, where Harvey reads the girls the riot act about what they've done. But Tara is having none of it. She stands up to her father about how he's been lying and covering everything up, and how he can't punish her for not knowing things that he refused to tell her. Being a parent, he responds to logic with punishment. He literally fuses the doors to the room shut, and I I guess by making the wood, like, grow together. And Tara says that they've been grounded. Aisha tries to take advantage of the moment to slink off to her in Bloom's room, but Stella confronts her about snitching. And Musa asks to get asks everyone to wait until she can get her headphones for the fighting to begin. And when she goes to her and Tara's room and Stella and Aisha are already starting to yell at each other, uh, she finds Sam has phased through the walls into the suite because he doesn't need to use doors. Uh, Aisha justifies her behavior by pointing out that Bloom is being selfish, which is true. And the last thing Dowling needs to worry about is Rosalind, which is also true. Oh my god. Bloom. There are active monsters that have actively killed people actively in the past month and a half. Can you put this on the back burner for like five seconds? Bloom. Fairy of short-sightedness. Bloom. Fairy of self-reflection. That's the end of the show. Speaking of Dowling, we go to the Stone Circle, where Dowling has apparently been sweeping the grounds looking for Rosalind. She sends off a text that she hasn't found her yet and leaves. Um, real quick, I noted that, I noticed that, like, she has, that her, um, like, her texty icon is, like, an, not an up-the-nose shot, but, like, a three-quarters turn shot. I'm like, who took this picture? She probably did, because she has a bad selfie game, because she's old. (laughs) Oh, this is when Rosalind decides to decloak herself and Bloom using that same light magic trick that Stella does. Bloom asks how she was able to do that if she's if she's out of mana, and Rosalind says that she used the amplified ambient magic of the stone circle to do that spell and start siphoning magical energy to refuel herself. I'm getting Aragon vibes. I only ever saw the movie and I can't remember any of it. Like, the main thing I remember is putting magic into a gem at the hilt of a sword. Anyway. Bloom asks Rosalind about Astrodal, and Rosalind immediately confirms that Dowling's version of events is the truth. Things are more complicated than her simply committing a war crime. She did do that, of course, but not against innocent people. According to Rosalind, the settlers of Astrodal were not fairies, 
but a separate class of magic users known as blood mages. I mean blood witches. Blood witches, she explains, are humans who can perform acts of magic through sacrifice. And she used the burns once attacking Astrodel as a means to kill two birds with one stone. This means that... This means, of course, that Bloom isn't from Astrodel. She was kidnapped by the witches to be sacrificed. Oh no. Man, if uh, if uh, Icy and Darcy show up next season, things are going to be interesting. <laughs> she also reveals the reason the Burned Ones have been attacking and approaching Althea is to get to Bloom so that they can destroy her before her power is used against them. Rosalind reassures Bloom it'll be worse for the burned ones now that she's around, and tells Bloom it's time for her to learn her next trick. We cut away to the specialists, and Skye tries to confront Silva about Asterdell. Uh, He is, though, brushed off so that everyone can focus on the burned one threat. They review the camera footage from Nora's uh, found footage horror film murder, <laughs> And according to Kat, who is with us, uh, I do like that she is a reoccurring character. I want her to step on me. Uh, They're apparently close to where this happened. Silva orders the specialists to mobilize, and Riven objects because there are six burned ones, and they don't have any fairies with them. Even though this is kind of what specialists are supposed to do. So, Skye tells him to suck it up, but before they can actually move out... They're interrupted by a burned one roar coming from the opposite direction. Oh no. Which is towards the school. So Silva orders them to get back to Alfia and gather all of the students in the courtyard. I'll do this next one too. Good, because this actually made me scream. <laughs> At the school, the power starts to flicker, which, apparently, should not happen. Uh, Tara explains to everyone else, uh, Sam probably already knows this, so mostly for the other girls. Mostly for the audience. And for the audience, of course, she has to expose it. Since Althea is isolated, it is not on a power grid. Its electricity comes from magic. And she actually starts, like, delving into... How they're apparently like magic hydroelectric batteries, but uh, which sounds really cool. It does, and I want I want to learn more about like the the mechanical lore of this world, but now's not the time. <laughs> um. Uh, while she keeps talking, Sam offers to go check out the situation since he's the only one who can leave. So he phases through the doors. Uh, shadow cat style and starts kind of walking the halls which is another horror movie setup because we're getting that very creepy thing of completely deserted hallways of a place that's supposed to be busy yeah and uh, the lights are still flickering because it would be i feel like it would be better if he was doing this just in the dark but the the flickering adds to the creepiness of course. Uh, this, of course, means that Sam gets jump scared by a burned one. Oh, no. That claws him. And 
important to note that this means there is a burned one inside the school. No! I don't like this! So Sam gets ganked in the guts. and Badly. He, pretty bad. And he falls back through the doors to the wink suite. Uh, he lets them know that, uh, you know, that there's one in the school. And then he starts just screaming because he's being consumed alive by burned one infection. We're gonna get back to fun stuff, I promise. Okay. That that scene really got you, didn't it? Dude, I had to pop. I actually screamed. I'm like, no! I think the reason why I am not immune, I still can be jump scared, but the reason I am so good about dealing with the anticipation leading up to a jump scare is because I watch so many of those bad paranormal reenactment shows and jump scares are their bread and butter. We go back to the stone circle where Rosalind coaches Bloom through absorbing magic, telling her the power Bloom used to free her is only a fraction of what she needs. Bloom starts panicking. Bloom starts panicking as fire envelops her. Naturally, she's on fire. But Rosalind tells her that control is a limitation and that she needs to learn to enjoy the feeling of overwhelming power. And here's where some red flags start spinning in my mind. Yeah, that's not a good sign. No. Very Dragon Age mage stuff going on here. Your strongest power comes through negative emotions. Your strongest power comes from letting your power overwhelm you. How about no? How about this is all a terrible idea? She begins to say Bloom could do great things with the right people around her. But Bloom immediately realizes that she's freed a supervillain who wants her total faith and adoration. And the writers immediately forget how Bloom's been acting the past two episodes and have her pop off on how Rosalind essentially almost caused her to kill her parents by leaving her in the human world without magical guidance. I mean, pop off, sis, but... (laughs) I mean, your anger is... Justified. Justified. But it makes you come off as a huge hypocrite. Rosalind is, of course, a master manipulator and pulls at Bloom's heartstrings by revealing that she put Bloom in the human world to protect her from the burned ones and says that she will always look out for her and that she will help her find her birth parents as soon as the fight is over. Also, her birth parents were not at Astrodel. Or, I don't know, maybe they were. I don't know who to trust right now. Um... Well, here's the thing. If all the people of Asterdell were witches, then it's possible that... I'm going to assume that Beatrix was also, you know, an infant sacrifice du jour. <laughs> Talk about the veal. Uh, and that Rosalind was like, I can psychologically manipulate this baby because I'm a sociopath. And... <laughs> I want a child soldier. That's that's my theory. And that Bloom's real parents were not at Asterdell. Bloom gives a text from Stella that a burned one is in the school and asks Rosalind if she can help. 
Rosalind isn't charged up enough, but she assures Bloom that she's strong enough to do this on her own, and Bloom books it back to school. Now, for a scene of thing of like scenes that were so small and so quick that I had to put them together in one paragraph. Huzzah! We have an aside to the Wink Suite, where Sam is hyperventilating, and Muse's powers spike, so all she can hear is internal screaming. So this causes her to, to lock up, and she begs the others to do anything, but Stella has lost a phone signal, like she was trying to call in the emergency. Uh, this goes back to Bloom running through the woods, and she gets a jump scare, but this time it's just Sky. And they have an awkward reunion as he takes her to the courtyard with the rest of the students. And then we go to Kat and Riven doing a sweep of dorm rooms, looking for other, I don't want to say survivors, but other students. So third potential jump scare, but this one is a fake out. Because they hear, like, a noise, like somebody knocked something over. But thankfully, this is just students. It's a little baby child. A baby child. Like, a 14-year-old, it looks like. He just has a ball of fire as a flashlight. I mean, if you can control fire, why not? (laughs) So, Kat uh, will says that she will be escorting them to the courtyard. So she asks Riven to find any other stragglers. And he hesitates before he does as he's ordered. Now, he walks through a door, like a a seemingly very close nearby door, and is in the greenhouse. So I guess it can... It felt like he was on the second floor, like definitely not the ground floor. Yeah, I... Maybe the students were in a, like, an abandoned classroom or something? I don't know... This episode's confusing and a lot happens. Yeah, this, uh, the don't think too hard about how Alfie is physically arranged. <laughs> it changes all the time. But, uh, this, actually this confuses me because I thought in previous episodes we'd seen that the greenhouse was a freestanding structure and not connected to the rest of the school. This it, could just be multiple greenhouses. Possibly, but I think that it's like one of those situations where it's attached to the school and then the, the other three side, like it's at the end of a hallway. Right. So in the greenhouse, he does find a student. But Two it's Dane. And Beatrix is also like laid out on a bench like Sleeping Beauty. <laughs> Dane wants to unparalyze her because she's like completely catatonic. But he doesn't know exactly what to do. So Riven tries to get him to just leave her because she's not worth it in his mind. But again, because of these unseen interactions that Dane and Beatrix have apparently had, uh, Dane is still devoted to her. So he manages to appeal to Riven's feelings for Beatrix and convinces him to stay. (laughs) I kind of feel bad for Riven. You're a douchebag, but I feel bad for you. (laughs) Okay. So, Bloom and Skye are wandering through the hallway towards the courtyard, and Skye is understandably angry with Bloom for drugging him, especially after he opened up the way he did. Bloom's defense is that Skye would have stopped her, quote, 
like a damsel that needed saving from herself. I'd argue that's exactly what needed to happen. The she world's did kind of be... ending. <laughs> she she did need to be saved from herself. And Sky's response is essentially, cool motive, still murder. Because Bloom did free both a known killer and a known war criminal. But Bloom is so wrapped up in her obsession with her past that she starts making justifications for Rosalind. She tries claiming that Rosalind probably only did what she thought was right. And Skye gives her the hard truth that just because someone thinks they're right doesn't mean that they are. Cut to a direct consequence of someone doing something wrong while thinking they're right. With the winks and the actively dying Sam trapped in the suite by Harvey's grounding. They're watching a man die and there's nothing they can do. They're about to be in here with a corpse. No, worse. Remember, burned one infection turns you into another burned one. Oh no. So they would be stuck in a sealed room with a burned one that used to be Tara's brother. (laughs) He's turning into a dark spawn. Basically, that's kind of how the- yeah, that is kind of how these work. Weird. Anyway, something starts to slam at the doors, and Tara and Stella get ready to defend themselves when Sky and Bloom bust through the door. Huzzah! Sky and Stella have an awkward hello before Tara's like, my brother's dying, and Sky begins to fireman carrying him out to the courtyard, and they need to get there fast because it's being barricaded. Because of the fucking burned ones. <laughs> Students, uh are rushing down the stairways into the courtyard where Dowling is shutting various security gates. She pulls that same, like, fire fairy we saw Cat Rescue aside and tells him to gather up the other fire fairies so that they can weld the gates shut before they physically barricade them. Since, apparently, she can't fully seal them permanently. Which is the kind of thing you would think that the teacher of a magic school would be able to do is bar the gates, but maybe there's secrets she doesn't know about how the school works. Anyhow. Real quick, um, during Dowling's, um, like, speech that she does in a couple minutes, you just see the one fire fairy welding the thing shut. There's no one else helping him. He looks so lonely. They only had enough money to do fire effects for one person in that scene because they're saving the money for later. Oh, yeah. And... Spoiler alert, it doesn't look the best. Silva is directing people where to go because they have set up a bunch of prep stations. Like they've taken over the canteen and turned it into a potions lab. And there's like a medical station set up and everything. Because they are basically under siege. Starring Steven Seagal. Uh, Harvey is the one at the uh, temporary potions lab where he, uh, and Tara calls out for him as Sky brings Sam's down and sets him off at the medical area. And Harvey has the cojones to try and scold Tara for not getting him there sooner. Hey, Papa, you locked us in there. <laughs> Yeah, she points out that that's exactly why she didn't, and he realizes that he almost caused both of his children to die. 
Dowling addresses the students and explains that the barrier has fallen due to the school's energy wells failing. And that they have, in fact, infiltrated the school. Dowling was able to contact Queen Luna before everything went completely offline, though. And Luna sent a detachment to the school to fend off the burned ones. And they just need to hold out until the army arrives. She advises caution and bravery and has students prepare the barricade. After Dowling's rousing speech, Skye has an aside with Stella and offers to hide her from the Salarian army. And then she gets shockingly emotionally self-aware in very little time. (laughs) Uh, A lot of people get shockingly self-aware in very little time. In this episode, because they need to wrap up their character arcs and have development in place for season two. Uh, uh, I don't know, maybe Stella talked to Muse a lot. Um, Stella admits that part of her does want Sky to hide her, but the other, larger part of her realizes that that's not the right move, and that breaking up was good for them because they were codependently toxic... And that's shockingly self-aware for a 16-year-old to even know the word codependent. Well, I think she's 17. Oh, that's true. She's 17. She might. She because might have taken... as you know, the change between 16 and 17, drastic. Uh, and she also says that she is now committed to dealing with her personal problems herself. Alright, so we switch over to Bloom and Dowling because time for more drama, I guess. In the hallways, Bloom is trying to convince Dowling, Mm -hmm. who knew Rosalind for years, that Rosalind isn't really that bad because Bloom had a five-minute conversation with her, so obviously she knows everything. Bloom tells Dowling about Asterdell being full of blood witches, and again, at this point, I have no clue if this is true, because I don't know if I can trust Rosalind. But, meh. But Dowling puts her foot down about how Rosalind is a master manipulator who's only feeding Bloom as much information as she can to string her along. Bloom tries rebuffing her because Dowling has made a few lies of omission and didn't tell her things that Dowling would have no way of knowing were crucial pieces of information. And Dowling smacks right back by asking why Rosalind isn't explaining herself to Dowling directly or helping to defend the school. Bloom mentions that Rosalind wasn't charged and Dowling gives another hard revelation. The ambient magic channeled at the stone circle powers everything in Althea. So it's not really ambient magic, it's just... She's siphoning the magic from Althea. From the electricity to the barrier itself. And that Rosalind has deliberately sabotaged the barrier as part of her plans for Bloom. Worth noting... Uh, This actually isn't outright stated until much later in the episode, but I thought this is the way it's said, and we do see Rosalind siphoning power, so I think this is a hard suspicion on Dowling's part at this point, but she doesn't actually say this to Bloom. 
And she seems shocked later when she, spoiler, gets to confront Rosalind about it. Dowling, hopefully if you're listening to this, you've watched the f***ing show. Dowling has also pieced together that the burned ones are focused on Bloom at this point. And when Bloom offers to fight them, Dowling tells her that Bloom's actions are the entire reason this mess is happening and that she's done enough already. Before ordering her to weld the gates shut with the other fire fairies. Back in the greenhouse, Riven and Dane are working with uh, a bunch of potion ingredients to revive Beatrix. Because Riven spent a lot of time in the greenhouse with Terra during his first year. Uh, He also admits that he doesn't really think Terra is that bad, but if Dean ever told anyone he said that, he would deny it. Wow, I called him Dean through this entire paragraph, huh? Yeah. To the point that I thought Dane was spelled incorrectly. Whoops. Uh, Riven also admits to the fact that he kind of turned Dane into a monster. And then asks about Dean's sexuality directly. I said, Dane. And then, uh, so he put, he makes this like, uh, this herb vapor that he puts down to revive Beatrix. And then he asks about Dane's sexuality openly, but in the rudest way possible. This is the one bit that popped up on Twitter by saying this show was written by straight people. And on one hand, yeah, it is a little awkward. On the other hand, Riven's just that kind of a douchebag. So Dane's answer is that uh, Riven is hot and he also finds Beatrix attractive, but in a different way. And I'm taking this to mean that Dane is mostly into men, but not exclusively. Beatrix rises from her coma like Dracula from his tomb and tells them that she was able to hear everything while she was unconscious, which uh, being fully, I guess she was fully conscious, just not able to react, which is my nightmare. And then in her creepy little Hitler youth way says that Rosalind will be pleased with their choices. (laughs) And that once everything is over, they will want to be on Rosalind's side. You know, that's not something normal people say. Normal people don't say this. Nope, they sure don't. I'm getting very election 2016 vibes from this. I'm not making the joke. Make Althea great again. That's the joke I wasn't going to make. In the... <laughs> In the courtyard, Harvey's treatment of Sam doesn't seem to be working. Let me clarify that he is not treating his son poorly. He is literally performing surgery. The, the uh, Your title is Open Heart Surgery. A splinter of char is very close to his heart. Musa is here (laughs) because they helped. Musa begs Harvey to help Sam, but he's already doing all he can. And it's one of the situations where 
it, it, I mean, there is something she could do, but there's nothing she can do. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. She can't actively help anything. Except apparently she can. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, she can help. As a mind fairy, feeling emotion is only a small part of her power, and that she can connect with Sam and help reduce some of his pain by taking some of it onto herself. Very midsummer cult, but yes. More body to feel pain makes the whole thing lessen out, I guess. She takes Sam's hand and tries, but after the first real shock, she panics and just runs off, leaving Harvey and Tara to deal with Sam themselves. Harvey can't really get the splinter near Sam's heart with him in this much pain, because one wrong move and you stab his heart. And remember, and he's squirming because he is in pain. Yeah, he's also presumably not under any form of anesthesia. The Zanback isn't really doing much right now. Thanks to Tara, however, with, you know, constant reassurance and Tara being a delightful ball of sunshine, he successfully removes it. The immediate danger is dealt with, but Sam will need to hold on until the burned one that attacked him is destroyed. Bloom watches this and, uh, Student number one gossips that the Solarians won't be able to reach them until the morning. Bloom is filled with determination and she runs off to find Sky. This is an Undertale reference, I believe. <laughs> I understand that reference. I Undertale that reference. So Bloom does find Sky and she genuinely apologizes for how she's been acting. And she lets him know that the kiss they shared was not just a distraction to drug him by kissing him again. This, of course, means they're back on the up and up uh, because, you know, they're hot. And <laughs> Sky tells Bloom that whatever she's planning, he's 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 in it. Uh, we have an aside with Stella and Aisha and Aisha apologizes for bratting the others out and considers uh, Stella is doubting uh, how genuine Aisha is. But Aisha points out that the fact that she's even coming to Stella should prove that she is genuinely sorry. Which is enough for Stella to forgive her, and they talk about what Bloom is planning to do. Bloom Kramers in and tells <laughs> them that it's probably going to be something really reckless and really crazy, but this time she's not doing it alone. Because uh, I have my friends. Er, she grabs Stella and Aisha, but leaves Tara and Musa behind because... Tara's having a family crisis and Musa is missing in action. And earlier in the graveyard, Rosalind had mentioned that there was a secret passage in the canteen and they used that to get out of the school. Sky asks Silva if he thinks they'll be all right, but Silva admits that he doesn't know what will happen. So he has to tell Sky what happened at Astrodel. We might die. I don't want you dying without knowing this. Silva drops the bombshell that Astrodel is where Andreas died. Sky had always been told that Andreas died fighting, and eh, that's the truth. We get a flashback to Andreas grabbing Silva by the shoulder as he rushes away from Astrodel to tell Rosalind that the town wasn't evacuated. Andreas tells Andreas reveals that Rosalind knew, and even if Dowling and Harvey don't know that civilians will die, 
Rosalind's orders are final. Silva won't be privy to a war crime and considers this a bridge too far, but Andreas is apparently indebted to Rosalind for giving him a purpose and says that Dowling and Harvey can't know what's about to happen. Huh. This is actually ringing very similar to Dane and Beatrix. Isn't it? Silva points out that Andreas still has a choice between his orders and his morals. But, unfortunately, Andreas sides with Rosalind and starts fighting Silva, pulling his sword. Silva doesn't want to do it, but it ends with Andreas getting stabbed, and by the time Silva reaches Dowling and Harvey, it's too late and Astrodal is up in flames. This is absolutely earth-shattering this guy, who is beyond furious that Silva lied to him his entire life about his father being a good man. Silva's defense is that everyone's flawed, which is an extremely flimsy excuse after everything has just been revealed. And yeah, Sky- so Sky, listen, I know we could die. So um, real quick, uh, your father was a fascist and a war criminal and I had to kill and- him. <laughs> Sky asks what he's supposed to do with all of this information, because to be honest, this is just a great way to distract someone from the- What's going on? They're interrupted from further dealings, however, by the sound of burned ones banging against the gates of the courtyard and the skylight above. Students scream, and Dowling encourages that they be as composed as they can, says panic is a negative emotion and leads to runaway magic. So Harvey is still working on Sam- who's having a bad time because he's undergoing surgery with no anesthesia. Tara runs to get help, and said help is Musa, who's managed to find a quiet corner with her headphones. Tara rips the headphones off and demands to know what Musa's problem is, because her brother is dying, and in her eyes, Musa just clammed up and ran away because she got scared. And then Musa reveals her big trauma bomb. So, Musa, much like in the cartoon, her mother passed away. However, instead of in the cartoon, where it happened when Musa was young, here it happened last year, and Musa was there when her mother passed away. And her, which means her powers caused her to feel every single emotion that a dying person has. Yipes. She doesn't want to go through that again, and she starts begging Tara not to make her feel that again. And Tara is horrified, and she, like, hugs Musa and, like, pets her hair and calms her down, and reassures her that Tara won't, that Tara reassures her that she will not let Sam die, and leaves Musa to continue decompressing. I know that this is intense, one of the only things I can think of right now as, like, Tara was, like, giving news of that big old bear hug is that her hands are covered in Sam's blood. <laughs> yep, but sure But because of, like, practical effects and whatnot, that's probably just, like, powdered crystal light fruit punch. Oh, yeah, her hands are covered in corn syrup. Gross. Don't, don't touch, don't, okay, Elliot, please don't touch Alicia's hair. Don't touch the... You know, just don't, 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 don't touch her. 
Hug, do one of those weird awkward hugs where you're not like, try- oh, okay. Oh, well, that sweater's ruined. Good thing that wasn't a pull. That was just a thrift store find. <laughs> really cute. Yeah, it's a, is it, is it her rainbow sweater? Um, I feel like it's like lilac, like light purple and like yellow and it goes across the arms. Like if she has a T-pose, it's a straight line. So Tara strides right up to the barricade that everyone has set up and she just starts tearing it down by hand. She's tired of hiding instead of fighting. Silva doesn't want to put lives at risk if it's not necessary, but as Tara points out, everyone's already at risk. And the only way to save them is to destroy the burned ones. Uh, one of the burned ones kind of breaks through the top and glass starts raining down on the courtyard. And the burned one falls through the roof. One comes right up to Cat, who full-on goes into a fighting stance. But after it sniffs her and realizes that this isn't Bloom, it darts past her, shoving a couple of students out of the way to get to the passage of the dining hall. The bird one pack that's still outside immediately abandons the courtyard, and Dowling realizes that Bloom was right about the burned ones being after her. There's a brief aside to Bloom, Stella, and Aisha emerging from the graveyard. I, I, all roads lead to the graveyard, I guess. Or they just had to reuse a set. And they run off deeper into the woods, making sure the burned ones are following Bloom. Of course, we immediately rejoin the courtyard drama, which is very different courtroom drama. Tara tries going out to fight the burned ones with the others, but Harvey keeps her there because uh, they don't have enough money for that. And tells her to stay and help with Sam. Tara feels like she needs to help, but Harvey tells her that she is helping by being with him and Sam because she can ground him. And his infection is spreading super fast. Sam is still freaking out, you know, writhing, screaming, black eyes, the the typical burned one symptoms. Or he just had a joining. I don't know, I'm really into Dragon Age right now, Brendan. I want one. I want another one so bad. So uh, Sam apparently like might, like, it looks like he's given up fighting. But that's when Musa just grabs him by the hand and tells him that it is his turn to take peace from her. So she tunes her powers in and they she feels at, like every bit of pain that he is. But by sp- dividing the pain, it, it dilutes it. So and she assures Tara and Harvey that she will hold off the infection as long as she can. Mind fighting is half the battle. And now for a scene that was spoiled almost immediately after the show came out because they wanted to show off the VFX they used here. And it didn't look that good. (laughs) Was it cool? Yes. I would say mediocre. Was it cool? Yes. Was the build up there? Yes. Was the payoff good? Uh, C plus. So, back outside, Stella is freaking out about how Luna is going to be sending an actual full-scale army to the school. But Bloom points out that they don't have the time to wait. And I mean, they really don't. 
Rosalind taught Bloom how to defeat the Burned Ones, but to do it, she'll need to draw on more of her power than she ever has, and is scared of what will happen when she does. Aisha and Stella are there for her, of course, with Aisha promising to try and contain the flames while Stella lets Bloom know that they'll support her, even if she can't see them. Bloom takes both of them by the hand and lets them know that they're who she needs to get through it, not Rosalind. Uh, Musa and Tara are here in spirit, I guess. Bloom gets surrounded by a vortex of water, calls upon her powers, and grows a pair of fairy wings made of fire. It, it looks like a transformation scene, but it's just the fairy wings. Yeah, like they even show like her hands and feet while fire runs over them, but she does not get a new costume. And it's a damn shame because it probably would have been really badass. But the VFX budget on this sequence alone. Yeah, like I said, C+. The fire wings look really, really cool. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like you can see they, they, they honestly look like insect wings. Or like leaves. Yeah, with little veins of fire making the cells up. No, she also doesn't fly because we're low on cash. But what she does get to do is blast every burned one with a ray of flame so hot it instantly incinerates their core, pulling it out of them. And when all have been destroyed, she's surrounded by dead, armor-clad, and very human bodies. Dowling runs up in absolute shock that Bloom was able to transform and congratulates her on a job well done. Bloom falters because a lot of magic was used today. And Aisha and Stella take Bloom back to the suite as Dowling looks over the... remains. In the courtyard, Sam's infection vanishes since the burned one was destroyed, and Tara tells Musa that she gets to feel the good things as she hugs her, and the power flickers back on for some reason. Uh, probably because Rosalind is no longer actively draining it. Which we know because she is not at the Stone Circle anymore. As So, uh, as the lights in the greenhouse kick back on, Riven tells the others that they should probably go back to the courtyard. And, because they can presumably, you know, like, slip in while everyone is too busy paying attention to everything else. But Beatrix implores them to stay and hear Rosalind out. Rosalind and Beatrix's father have a plan, and Riven and Dane could be part of it. Dane is pretty surprised that her own father is the one who sent her to infiltrate Althea, but she admits that this is technically not her actual father, just the man who raised her. But but he'll know how he'll know what to do. So her dad. Yeah, her dad. But as you know, this show has an issue with non-blood parents. This is when Rosalind comes through the doors to the greenhouse and congratulates Beatrix on a job well done. She takes a look over at uh, Dane and Riven, but Beatrix assures her that they're friends. Rosalind's eyes glow and her powers make a buzzing noise, and it's not clear what she's doing here. The, the most surface level read you can give here, Rosalind is a mind fairy. So she's, she might be, like, reading them to make sure that they have sincere intentions with Beatrix. But it also could just straight up be brainwashing them. And making them more compliant. 
I I did see Dane and Riven's eyes go white for a second. So, or maybe and I was just putting that on. Anyway, Rosalind then says, "It's it's so nice to have friends, and they are probably going to want to know what's happening next." And by friends, she means minions. <laughs> I don't have friends. They disappoint me. In the wink suite, Bloom gets tucked in by the other girls, who assure her that Sam is okay. He's probably gonna have a wicked scar, but... Whatever. Tara is disappointed that she missed out on the wing action, and they have some banter comparing them to Tinkerbell's wings. Stella thinks they were cooler, but Tara's a Disney girl. Bloom's phone rings, and Aisha grabs it before Bloom can answer. Telling her that she'll cover for her, joking that it's her one al- <laughs> It's her government allotted lie of the month. Back outside, Silva reports to Dowling that the specialists haven't found any sign of Rosalind, but it's only time before she crops up. And then he notices the bodies! Dowling tells him that Bloom transformed, and that after one night with Rosalind, Bloom has managed to unlock ancient magic that they believed was lost. She also tells Silva about Asterdell's residence being blood witches, and you can basically see his heart get crushed as he realizes that Andreas's death was essentially pointless. This cross fades right to Sky, who has been just kind of sitting around outside the school on the lawn this entire time. There's a time lapse of him kind of just pacing around until the sun comes up, and Bloom eventually comes out to sit with him. Uh, they talk about how she transformed, and Bloom says that this is the first time she feels like she belongs at Alfia. Uh, she then notices that he is still wearing his armor from the night before, but when he, she asks what's wrong, he bottles up instead of telling her she can't probe either because dowling is looking for her and steps out onto the lawn and sky redirects bloom so he can be uh, alone with his feelings some more in dowling's office she checks in on uh dowling checks in on how bloom is doing uh she's bloom is not great uh incredibly drained because of how much power she drew on she then tries to say something before Bloom cuts her off and apologizes for how she's acted the last few weeks. Since Dowling has been nothing but nice to her and she's been nothing but a brat. Self-reflection is the name of the game, Bloom. Dowling forgives her. And then Bloom very cutely and awkwardly asks if they can hug. There's like... 30 seconds here where it's just like, uh, 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 hug. Yeah, Dowling pulls her in, and she explains that when she became headmistress, she made a conscious decision to become a figurehead and not really project any other emotion because admitting, because that shows vulnerability and weakness. But not showing vulnerability and weakness means that the people she cares about are going to ask if she even hugs at all. 
She pours them each a cup of tea and apologizes for not being more forthright with Bloom sooner. Bloom, for her part, admits that she probably needed the time, and that she's come to her own conclusion. She needs to stop lying to her parents about what's been going on, and tell them what happened to their biological daughter. At this moment, I stop my nose for a second and look over. I'm like, how are there 12 minutes left of this show? And oh boy, are there 12 minutes left of this show! (laughs) (sighs) This fades into Bloom knocking on the door of her parents' house with Mike and Vanessa ecstatic to see her and asking how she got there on such short notice. Because, again, she's in Switzerland. Bloom apologizes for the lack of contact, but promises to explain everything. After she asks if her friends can stay for the weekend, and the other winks round the corner of the fence with weekend bags in tow. Vanessa looks surprised, but readily says yes. Um, if I remember from earlier in the show, not having friends was a sore spot? Yeah. Like, a very weird sore spot? Sometimes it takes a little sometimes it takes a little longer for people to get friends. I don't understand your concerns. Bloom directs the rest of the girls to hang out in her room while she talks to her parents. And instead of hearing instead of actually hearing the conversations, all dialogue is cut and replaced by a montage over Say it with me now. Indie pop. We see Bloom explain what happened to their biological daughter and In an intermixed scene of them looking at a photo album full of baby pictures and childhood pictures, there's even sonograms and the invitation for Vanessa's baby shower tucked in there. Bloom calls fire to her hands to show off her powers, and they seem appropriately shocked. Vanessa especially. But Bloom takes her by the hands, and Vanessa cups her face in her hands and forgives her. There's a group hug, and we have a time lapse of the Winx's weekend visit with the Peterses. I originally had this written much more melodramatically before I was like, no, that's too much, Brendan. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, they look at the sonograms, which is the only thing left of the original human bloom. Holy fuss! <laughs> well, I... I- I know what the outro's gonna be. <laughs> you see why I changed that. <laughs> and then I realized that was a bit grim. After the montage, we go back to Alfia with Sky and Silva as they walk up the driveway to the school. They, they're they doing some just filler chit-chat about Riven. It's just where he is, because I guess they've he realized at some point that he didn't see Riven's very distinctive face through the entire incident in the courtyard. Then a fleet of Solarian tactical SUVs come up the drive behind them, which surprises Silva because he had sent out a communication that they were fine and that the troops could be with call, uh, recalled. The more notable thing, though, is that Queen Luna's Rolls Royce is with this, uh, escort. Oh no. A whole bunch of soldiers come out, 
with their weapons drawn and aimed at Silva. And Sky, for his credit, their their weapons being bows and arrows. Yeah, I guess the other world doesn't have guns. But they do. Have we seen them? In episode one, the um, the farmer goes with a shotgun. You're right. Hmm. These aren't even crossbows. They're just no, bow do you know and arrows. It, do you know what it is? What? I think it might be gun control, like Irish gun control regulations. Ha! <laughs> Maybe. Oh, man. Imagine if that kind of gun control was in America. <laughs> God, I wish. Sky reaches for his sword before St- uh, Silva orders him to stand down. Luna emerges from her SUV and has come in person to inform Silva that he is being placed under arrest. The charge, you may ask, is the attempted murder of Andreas of Arachleon. Silva looks like he's been hit with a sack full of bricks. And Sky did catch that part that said attempted murder. And that's when a very much alive and visibly aged Andreas comes out of one of the SUVs. Right here, I'm like, there has to be a difference. Luna can manipulate light. Maybe this is someone else. No. He survived. (laughs) Who's been messing up everything? It's been Rosalind all along. This transitions to the cemetery in the woods, with Dowling standing in front of a series of graves. Freshly dug. Rosalind dryly notes that it was a noble gesture to bury the former burned ones. Dowling considers it appropriate, as they were clearly human at one point, and asks if Rosalind knew, which of course she did. She then asks if there are more burned ones out there, which Rosalind also confirms. Rosalind sits down on a bench in the cemetery, patting the spot next to her, and when Dowling pulls a face, Rosalind chides her for pouting. She then tells Dowling that she'll let let her in on a little secret for once. There's a thousand-year-old legend as old as the burned ones themselves that says they were soldiers in an ancient war. They had a powerful, primal source of magic that turned against them. It transformed them into what they are now. The dragon flame, which now burns inside of Bloom. I want you to know that when I first watched this scene, and you probably felt this exact same emotion, when she said the words dragon flame, I felt like I got socked in the chest. Well, I was like, it's the dragon flame, isn't it? Of course it's the dragon flame. It's the dragon flame. Whoa! I mean, I was expecting it, but it was still like, ooh. It's why Bloom was able to transform, why the burned ones are drawn to her, and why she was kidnapped by the witches of Astrodel. Rosalind notes that the burned ones never stood a chance against Bloom to begin with, and Dowling realizes that Rosalind deliberately sabotaged the barrier and set the burned ones loose within the school to test Bloom's power. Rosalind rationalizes that there's a war coming, a threat far greater than the burned ones and that she doubts Dowling has the composure to lead the next generation of fighters. Dowling then gives a scathing rebuttal that once she stepped out of Rosalind's shadow, she saw a world of light. That the other world isn't miserable, 
Rosalind is. Rosalind is a very, um, I don't want to say the word bitter, but let's, let's face it. She's a cold hearted fascist who sees the world in absolutes and thinks that the world sucks. So the only way to keep it from sucking even more is to make it suck for other people. Rosalind doesn't react and instead expresses the shame that Luna disagrees with Dowling. She had been planning to blackmail Luna by threatening to expose her part in Astrodel's cover-up, but Luna's anger at Dowling being unable to quickly rehab Stella's magic made her all too eager to see a change in management at the school. Rosalind has been reinstated as headmistress, and she feels that most of the faculty will most likely fall in line rather quickly, especially since Harvey will want to protect Sam and Tara, and Silva will be on trial for the attempted murder of Andreas. Andreas, as it turns out, is the one Beatrix called her father, who had been charged with raising her on Rosalind's order. Rosalind expresses that Dowling should probably take a break, go on a sabbatical, and Dowling grabs her arm, firmly stating that she is the headmistress, and there's no way she's leaving the school in Rosalind's hand. She gets up, turns to leave, but Rosalind uses her powers to levitate Dowling, and snaps her neck. She drops Dowling to the cemetery floor, and as she walks away, she uses earth magic to bury the body, and as a cherry on top, makes flowers blossom on all the fresh graves. The Winks walk down the drive to Alfia in their God's Awful promo outfits, chattering and laughing, but when they walk through the gates, they're greeted by Rosalind, Andreas, and Luna. Rosalind welcomes them back and tells them that while they were gone, there have been a few changes. And that is the end of season one. What the fuss? <laughs> it's the end of the show as we know it. Let's do war crimes. <laughs> I have a theory or a speculation. Okay. That big war Rosalind is concerned about. Do you think it could be the ancestral witches? You know, that's that's a distinct possibility. I think it's going to be Eternatus brought back up and beginning the darkest day. <laughs> you know, we could put this off till tomorrow after we do the Pokemon Championship. Nope, too late. Gotta Look, do it now. Battle your way through this entire League of Steel trainers. Do you have a fire type on your team? This is going to be real easy. We're saving the we're saving this problem from being someone else's problem by making it everyone else's problem now. In all honesty, I'm the good guy here. That was okay, not Okay, so paper as thin. you can as you can tell, this episode was very full of a lot of stuff. We have no clue how to end this. Um, do you have any highlights, Brendan? Bloom's wings are really sweet, even if the rest of that scene was kind of poopy by comparison. Okay. Also, um, I also liked uh, that entire scene with Rosalind and Dowling where you finally, they really just hit you over the head with, this woman is a sociopath fascist. And this woman's dead. (laughs) I'm interested to see how season two is going to play out with Dowling, with, um, 
with Rosalind and Andreas as the headmasters of Alfia. Right. Um. Here's what I think might happen. I'm going to predict that Rosalind will be using more dangerous but highly effective teaching methods. That students will come into a lot of power very fast, and those who don't are going to be tossed aside. A lot of students are going to break. And you know what I could see being a a strong plot line? Is, um... Is Rosalind weaponizing Stella's uh, feelings towards her mother to get Stella on Rosalind's side? Because Rosalind is approved by Queen Luna, but she would probably, like, manipulate Stella into thinking that Rosalind is different. Oh, right. Absolutely. Um, Also hopes for season two, Tecna or Flora. I'm going to, can I make a drastic statement here? sure i don't think we need flora and tara i would like to see tecna but i like tara as a character and i feel like adding flora in would just be caving to fan demand of course i could be entirely wrong they add flora and it's great but unless flora's powers are drastically different from tara's like sam with his whole power do you want to rephrase that not really. I also would like to see uh, Beatrix get a female character to interact with who isn't Bloom. I, I want Beatrix to have a female friendship. Because there can be evil lady friends. Uh, Yeah, her name is Darcy. Yeah, honestly, Darcy and... If they just lengthen Icy to Isis, they could pass it off. Ah, uh, yes. Beatrix, Isis, and Darcinda. Darcel. Um, (laughs) I mean, that's really all we have to say about this show. What did you, so I'm going to restate my, my overall fact. My, my final fact of the season is this show needed two more episodes. I think three would have been too much. I think that an eight episode version of this show where you can stretch things out, get more Make Bloom seem like she's less drastically swinging towards mania. Um, explore uh, Musa and Aisha as characters at all. Um, have Stella interact with the others in meaningful ways beyond the stuff that we are just dropped on in episode five. Have Dane interact with Beatrix on his own have Dane possibly interact with other students so we can see that people are rejecting him, which would make him more prone to side with Beatrix because she doesn't. I'll put in my uh, highlights a little later because I honestly can't think of anything right now because this episode was so dense. Hey guys, a test from the future here. I still can't think of any highlights. It's been a very long week and a very dense episode, so I'm just going to agree with Brendan for his highlights. Okay, bye. So those are that's that's my main takeaway is we needed two more episodes, and I hope that season two can live up to the uh, kind of void that was left in season one regarding other characters who are not Bloom, Beatrix, Stella, Sky, or the teachers. 
There's too many characters for a six-episode season. Period. So I'm curious as to your opinion, because this is really one of the first, like, big YA fiction things that you've watched. Yeah, most of the television I tend to digest these days is true crime and media aimed primarily at children. As someone who is not well-versed in this genre of media, I very much enjoyed it. But I will say that if it wasn't Winx-based, I don't think I would actively seek it out. That's a good point. Um, Because despite being Winx-branded, this show does not quite feel very much like a direct translation of the cartoon so much as a very broad strokes adaptation. So fans of the cartoon who aren't used to this sort of media might not be drawn to it naturally. And people who are fans of the media, but not necessarily the cartoon won't, I don't want to say won't get it, but there's a lot of things that are just presented that you have to run with because it's stuff from the show. I do think that you could go in blind without having watched the cartoon and enjoy this. But I, and I, in fact, I've, I've advised coworkers to give this show a shot because I know that they like, you have to be in a certain mindset. You have to be somebody who enjoys this kind of schlocky teen television. The writing is a bit weird. The money is spent oddly some in some places. And the characterization is all over the place. But it was a fun watch. Yeah, it's fun. Um, and I'm excited for a season two. I am as well. I imagine that due to COVID restrictions that are slowly easing all over the world, thank goodness, that I have tentatively put a pin in season two at, at about 2023. Just that seems like it would be appropriate uh, considering the amount of time it'll take to get cast and crew vaccinated and then, you know, finding like a vaccinated pool of extras so that you can have an open set where nobody will contract the virus. Oh, and uh, real quick, if anyone who is working on Fate the Wink Saga Season 2 listening to this podcast, we are more than happy to be extras. Oh, absolutely. And in fact, if anybody has any contact to the show, like any one of the showrunners or the writers, we'd be very happy to talk to them and get a little bit of insight to their process. We're nowhere near that big of a name, but what's the worst that happens? Nothing. Nothing is the worst worst? that happens. Someone says no? Exactly. The worst thing anybody can ever say is no. If you've liked what you've heard here today, you can follow the show at MagicWinksPod on Twitter. You can follow me, Brendan, personally, at Sonata Waves. I only tweet about my tabletop, though, so um, I don't know why you would. <laughs> uh, you can email us at magicwinksclubhouse at gmail.com. That is the name of this podcast at gmail.com. Fate the Wink Saga, please. And you can find me, 
Tess on Twitter at Pocky Slice. That is Pocky like a delicious Japanese snack. Slice as in not Andreas. <laughs> that concludes our business with the Magic Winks Clubhouse today. Please join us in another two weeks where we will finally be getting back to the cartoon in a very drastic tone shift with season two, episode one, The Shadow Phoenix. This is going to be weird. <laughs> Until next time, meeting adjourned. Open your eyes, open your mind. We are the Winks. Winks, if your hand is holding mine, we can find space and time. And together we'll be certified winners. Winks, with a smile, pen, and tap. You light up our world. We'll fight the Monday sky together. Open your eyes, open your mind. This show is done. We finished a mini series. We can finally go to heaven.